We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to further the discussion of leadership and the idea that I threw out yesterday that leaders lead by leaving. I'm going to talk about how leaders can move from good to great and how the best leaders, the greatest leaders, are those that manage their transitions well and that failure to do so results in failed leadership. I'm Dr. Everett Piper and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. So today's topic, as I said in the introduction, is uh, installment B, I guess. Uh, leadership 2.0, if you will. I want to talk about this issue of leadership and leaving. I'm going to talk about it not just in the context of local leadership, but we're going to start at the top. We're going to talk about the presidency of the United States today and Donald Trump. Uh, Some of you are going to get frustrated because you're Trumpers and you believe that we should support Donald Trump to a fault and that it doesn't matter what he says or what he does or how he leads. We need to vote for him and support him. I've told you before that I voted for Donald Trump twice, but I believe that we should thank him when he's right and criticize him when he's wrong. And frankly, I think his run for presidency at this point and time is an example of level four leadership rather than level five. Do you remember the book Good to Great back in the 1990s? It was a seminal work. It was a New York Times bestseller. It was written by Jim Collins. And he talked about five levels of leadership, one being the least and five being the greatest. And Collins's argument essentially boiled down to this. Many leaders achieve good status, but very, very few ever achieve greatness. They may be level four leaders. They accomplish some things. They balance the budget. They move the organization forward. They develop a product. They achieve some recognition and some appreciation in their leadership role. They do good work, but the key there is good. That's the key word. They do good work. They never achieve great work. They never achieve greatness. Why? Well, the key reason, in Collins's view, was transition. For example, he cited Lee Iacocca, the iconic leader of Chrysler during their time of crisis when they were on the verge of bankruptcy and closure, as a good leader but not a great leader. And the reason for that is Iacocca didn't manage the transition well. In other words, Lee Iacocca did not know how to leave. He failed at that level of leadership. So that's today's topic. We're going to talk about Donald Trump. I'm going to talk about other leadership issues. We're going to focus on how good leaders fail to achieve greatness because they don't understand the importance of leading through leaving. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. 
The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need, sold. The Patriot Auto Group, proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. So welcome back to The Rebellion. Before we get into the rest of the show, bear with me for a moment as I do a little bit of housekeeping. You know, I don't do this in every show because, quite frankly, I think it would annoy you. So I try, I try to be a little strategic in reminding you of these details. If you'd like to join the rebellion, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. That's patreon.com backslash D-R-E-V-E-R-E-T-T-P-I-P-E-R. That's patreon.com backslash Dr. Everett Piper. I really appreciate those of you who do subscribe on a monthly basis. Why do you do that? Well, you really don't get any material benefit for doing so. I don't send out coffee mugs or t-shirts or anything like that. I I have been very straightforward about this. The reason I ask you to subscribe is just to help support us. I don't do this on a daily basis to just hear myself talk. It takes a lot of time, a lot of reading. I get up very early every morning to produce a new episode of The Rebellion on a week on a uh, Monday through Friday daily basis. And the reason for doing that is to just try to get you some more information as you engage in the culture uh, wars, as you engage in the market square of ideas, as you engage in the cultural debate in your company, in your church, in your local community. I'm trying to give you a couple extra arrows in your quiver so that you can have some ammunition as you talk about ideas, because ideas have consequences. They are going to bear fruit. And good ideas, whether it be about education or whether it be about leadership, matter. Because a bad idea, when it comes to leadership, will result in bad leadership. And that's why I ask you to support the rebellion, just so that I can hopefully contribute to your vocabulary, if you will, on how to engage culture, how to engage issues, politics, education, science, apologetics, and in today's case, leadership, because many say that everything rises and falls on leadership. And there's some truth in that. There's some truth. Failed leadership results in failed churches, failed politics, failed colleges, failed corporations, a failed country. Leadership really does matter. So with that little bit of housekeeping out of the way, let's get into today's topic. Leading through leaving. Now, yesterday, let me just give you an overview. I gave you the 10 principles I have learned as a result of being a college president for just shy of 20 years at Oklahoma Wesleyan University and being a college vice president in various different roles at a couple different institutions prior to that. Now, I want to say it one more time. I am not pretending to be perfect. I'm sure that people that have worked for me will tell you that. I'm sure board of trustees members that 
were my supervisors, were my authority over me at Oklahoma Wesleyan or Spring Arbor University or Grace College or Greenville College would tell you, well, he's far from perfect. Uh, That's not the issue right now. The issue is my imperfections noted, (laughs) my blemishes acknowledged, my failures as a leader, um, unhidden, those things admitted right up front. That doesn't preclude me from sharing some of the lessons that I've learned through failures, through experience, through over 30, 35 years of executive level leadership. If you care about these lessons, great. If you disagree with them, great. But that's part of the debate, isn't it? That's part of the dialogue. That's part of the conversation. Again, that's what conservatives do. We have conversations. We have debates. We have dialogue. We have arguments because we believe that we sharpen each other as the result of doing that. As iron sharpens iron, let one man sharpen another. So listen to the rest of today's show and receive yesterday's show on leadership within that context. Ever Piper is not pretending in any shape or form to be the best leader out there. What I am suggesting is that I, I had to learn something along the way, right? You have to learn something along the way. If you don't learn while you're doing something, there is something wrong. We all should be learning as we go about our daily duties, our daily tasks. And if you've been charged with leadership in an administrative role or a preaching role or a political role, education role, it doesn't matter. If you've been charged with leadership as a coach or as a pastor, then you should be willing to learn. And if you're not learning, then you have no business in the leadership role at any organization or any culture. So that's the context, that's the spirit with which I present these ideas. So anyway, back to yesterday. I shared with you the 10 simple ideas that I've learned over the years. I I talked to you about those 10 ideas, but I added an 11th. I added this issue of leading by leaving. Now, it, it came to mind as I was talking about that, that I've kind of hinted at it in the past because while I was at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, it dawned on me that there was a difference between Moses' leadership and Joshua' leadership. That Moses had to hand the baton to somebody else. That God didn't choose Moses to run across the finish line. Oh, he chose Moses very specifically to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. He chose Moses to write the Ten Commandments. He chose Moses to be one of the most iconic leaders in all of human history. Some would argue the most iconic leader. I mean, who can you put above Moses in terms of leadership success? Moses is cited and has been cited for thousands of years as the leader of the Western world, the leader of Israel, the leader of freedom, the leader that God chose to tell his people what the parameters for freedom were. I mean, we start with the Exodus story, let my people go. Then we have the decades of wandering in the wilderness because of the people's disobedience. Moses is the leader during this time. And we also need to remember that Moses was mentoring somebody else during this whole time period. Joshua was there the entire time. Joshua was watching Moses lead. And Moses, I believe, recognized that as he grew older, as he stepped further and further into his leadership paradigm, that there was one key thing he had to do, and he needed to do it very well. 
and that was he needed to manage the transition. And when God made it clear to Moses that his time as a leader was over, Moses knew he needed to hand the baton to Joshua and let Joshua carry on. If Moses had not done that, the story would be very different. Oh, in God's providence, he may have worked it and would have worked it out differently. But the point here is to focus on the human reality of Moses being one of the greatest leaders, if not the greatest leader in all of human history. This man, Moses, was a failed leader in some ways because God told him, I'm not going to let you get across the finish line because you messed up. Uh, I'm not going to let you lead my people any longer. Your job is over, and you need to manage the transition. You need to hand the mantle of leadership over to Joshua. You need to manage. You need to lead by leaving. Manage the transition well, Moses, and therefore you will be one of the greatest leaders in recorded history. That's a lesson we all need to learn. You know, I was recently told a story about a pastor who stood before his congregation in the midst of some controversy. And he said something very much like this. It's not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. At least this is what I'm told. That he looked at his congregation in a sermon, uh, recognizing that there was some tension in the church for various different reasons. And he said, some of you may not like me, but I'm not leaving. Really? Now, that, that causes me great concern. Any leader that would look at his faculty, his staff, his administrative team, his church, uh, his political team, whatever the arena of leadership is for that particular person, any leader that would look his, his followers, his team in the eye and say, I want you to know something, I'm not leaving. That's terrible leadership. When I was the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and again, I'm going to say it a second or third time, I'm not saying that this example is one that's perfect. I'm just sharing my story with you. When I was the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, I was very blessed. I had a great board. I had a great faculty. I had great people on my administrative team. And we weathered the storm of crisis quite well, thank you. We moved from financial exigency and essential bankruptcy to an institution that was recognized by Bain as one of the top 20% in the nation in terms of financial viability. We went from an institution that nobody knew about, <laughs> total obscurity. Nobody knew who Oklahoma Wesleyan University was other than a small pocket of Wesleyan churches here in the, in the heartland, in the Great Plains states. Other than that, nobody knew, nobody cared. Enrollment was down, uh, debt was up, annual revenue barely exceeded our, acu our accumulated, our accrued debt. Uh, this was a, it was a terrible financial situation. But Marcy and I were blessed. We were chosen. I believe in God's providence to be the leaders of this institution, to lead them out of the wilderness. Now, I didn't know whether that leadership role was going to be one where I was just chosen to lead the institution into closure and hand over the keys to the bank, so to speak, or whether or not we would actually come out of the crisis and have some success stories to tell. In God's grace and providence and sovereign will, we were fortunate enough to succeed. And we went from, oh, approximately $10 million in net assets to approximately $40 million when we left. The enrollment nearly tripled, and so did the revenue. And we left the institution debt-free and handed the baton to our successors with the camp being cleaner than it was when we 
um, when we found it. Does that make sense? So one of the things I learned through that whole process was don't hang on too long. Leaders hand off. They don't hang on. Uh, we finished nearly 18 years. I think um, just shy of a couple months of 18 years of leadership there. And that far exceeds the average tenure of any college president. But for the last five, six, maybe eight of those 18 years, I was constantly, constantly looking over my shoulder and wondering, how long should we stay? I mean, we were still, we were still enjoying great success. Enrollment was strong. Debt was zero. We were balancing our budget year after year after year. We were developing new programs. We had national championships in athletics, which the institution had never enjoyed before. We built a new library. We built a new school of business, which we called the Frank Keating Center for Capitalism, Free Enterprise, and Constitutional Liberty. We built three new dormitories. We built an annex to the, to the fitness center. Uh, we renovated some of the older buildings, the grand and glorious old H.V. Foster Mansion, La Quinta, We renovated it and brought it back to its original 1930s grandeur. We had a blast. The science building, which was an ugly building, we completely renovated it and brought it into, uh, uh, made it look like a brand new building, architecturally consistent with the rest of the campus. Hired a bunch of new faculty, had a great administrative team. By and large, had the support of the board of trustees. But as the honeymoon ends, and every leader has a honeymoon, and that will end sooner or later, where you know people don't criticize you at all in the first couple of years because, well, whatever they they want you to succeed and they're they're going to stand by you and they're going to uh, they're going to have your back when others from outside are critical they'll stand with you but as you start to succeed uh, the honeymoon wears off and you start getting more and more critique from your own from your faculty maybe from your board members etc and you can do a couple different things when that happens you can ignore it you can fight against it. You can counter it, or you can attend to it, or you can do a combination of all of the above. Like I said yesterday, if those criticizing you are people of success, you might want to listen to them. If those criticizing you don't have much success in your arena, then you might want to take it with a grain of salt. So I think that's just common sense. You don't have to wring your hands over every every criticism that comes your way. I mean, I made some decisions that were difficult. I had to release people. I had to change uh, positions. I had to change structure. We had to manage the budget wisely to get our debt down to zero and make sure the institution was financially healthy. These were painful things, and criticism comes. Uh, So I'm not saying ignore the criticism. Some of it is justified. But when you're making tough decisions as a leader, you're going to get criticized. And I certainly received my share of that. But my point in bringing that all up is this. When you, as a leader, are confronted with criticism, you have to manage it well. You don't look everybody in the eye and say, I'm not leaving. That's a terrible response. That's not the response of a leader. That's arrogant. That's narcissistic. That's selfish. You should leave if leaving is best for the organization. You should never look anyone in the eye and say, I'm not leaving. I never did that at Oklahoma Wesleyan University. In fact, I probably erred on the opposite side of the fence. On On the confidential side of this whole thing, I was constantly in communication with my chairman of the board saying, we need to continue to start looking at possible transitions. 
I did this three, four, five, maybe six years before I retired. I was constantly letting my chairman of the board know, I'm not going to be here forever, and I don't think I should be here forever. I believe we're still being used productively for the good of the college, the university. But if there's a time where either I don't want to do it or our time of productivity is waning, we need to get out of the way while people still want more of us rather than less of us. We need to hand the baton to the next leader while we're in full stride. We don't want to wait until we're stumbling. We do not want to do that. I was communicating that way with my board constantly at least with my chairman of the board, because I wanted him to know that he and I together needed to manage the transition well. Because even though we had accomplished some very good things in that first decade or so of my tenure at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, the university would never be great, and my leadership would fall short of greatness if I didn't acknowledge the fact that I needed to do the exact opposite of what this story about a local pastor has done, and that is look your congregants in the eye and say, I'm not leaving. We needed to do the opposite. Every leader needs to do the opposite. Look your clients, your patrons, your customers, your congregants, your students, your faculty, your staff. Look them all in the eye and say, I am leaving. I am leaving at the right time, and I'm going to leave the camp a lot better a lot cleaner than it was when I found it. I'm going to hand the baton to the next guy and do him a favor. I'm going to give him financial success. I'm going to give him missional success. I'm going to give him reputational success. I'm going to give him a head start. That's my responsibility. I'm not going to wait until there's such a crisis that people have to force me out and hand my successor a disaster. Anyone who will look, those who are following him in the eye and say, I'm not leaving, is a terrible leader. In fact, I would argue is not a leader at all because the issue has now become the individual rather than the team, rather than the church, rather than the corporation, rather than the culture, the school, the college, the university. The issue is now about me rather than the mission and the success of the organization I've been charged by God to lead. That's a big deal. Now, I said we're going to talk about Donald Trump. Frankly, I think that's the issue with Trump right now. Trump did some very good things for our country. I was surprised by a lot of it. I didn't like him when he first ran in his primary. I thought there were better candidates, but you've heard my story. I had the opportunity to meet with him right after he won the 2015-16 primary, and I asked him, I said, Mr. President, well, he wasn't president at the time, I said, Mr. Trump, should you become president of the United States, I have one request of you, please leave me alone. Let me be a Christian. Let me be the president of a Christian university. Let my Christian university, my evangelical Christian liberal arts institution, be what its mission calls it to be. Leave us alone. Get the government out of my business. And as I've told you the story, I was surprised when he won the presidency, he actually did what I asked him to do, and I'm very grateful for that. So don't hear my criticism of Trump as being ungrateful for the good leadership that he actually brought to the table. I believe he was a good president. However, I don't believe he'll ever be remembered as a great president if he doesn't manage the transition well. And right now he's not. I believe Donald Trump should be a king maker right now, and he should stop wanting to be king. He should be looking for an opportunity to hand the baton to somebody else. 
And the Republican bench is strong. You've got several very good candidates that I believe, and I think many political pundits believe, could easily win an election. Whether it be Ron DeSantis, whether it be Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, whether it be Ted Cruz, the list goes on and on and on. There are many viable candidates that I believe Donald Trump, if he wanted to be remembered as a great leader, would be grooming, encouraging, and he would be helping right now, rather than positioning himself to fight against them. One of the things that irritates me the most about what Donald Trump is doing right now is his constant criticism of DeSantis, DeSanctimonious and all this kind of stuff. Why would you do that? Why would a leader be so intent on holding on to the ring of power, grasping it, that he would look his followers in the eye and say, I'm not leaving. I am going to hold on to my position of power. And then start criticizing those that were on his bench, those members of his team, saying negative things about them to elevate himself. Why would anybody do that? And why would any congregation, college faculty, why would any country follow such a leader that elevates himself by saying he's not leaving while criticizing others and leaving bodies in his wake? I'm very disturbed that Donald Trump is doing that right now, and I think it's failed leadership, and it's an example of what Jim Collins in Good to Great was calling level four to the extreme. Lee Iacocca, I don't know whether he was critical of his staff or not, but what we do know is he didn't manage the transition well. Chrysler's status and reputation and success decreased rather than increased after Iacocca left. Now, some of you might say, and even Iacocca himself probably said, well, that's because I was such a great leader. No, that's not the point. If you were a great leader, you would have set the organization up for greater levels of success after you're gone rather than sitting back and smugly taking satisfaction in the fact that the organization is failing. The best leaders try to help the board of trustees, help the church, help the college, help the corporation find the successor that's going to be better than you. Time and time again at Oklahoma Wesleyan, I told my board, look, we've been blessed and I have some strengths, but I also have some weaknesses. And I think the time has come where you need a leader that can shine in areas where I didn't. For example, we did well in fundraising. We did well in missional uh, clarity. I think that was my strength. The primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom, the four pillars, the mission of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. I waved that banner constantly. I think we were gifted. That was my sweet spot. We were able to make Oklahoma Wesleyan a distinct and bold and clear institution that people cared about. We were blessed to have a public voice in the media. That was something that God chose to give us, a platform that we took advantage of. That was my skill set. That was my sweet spot. But enrollment, while it improved, wasn't great. I mean, other institutions were beating me when it came to enrollment increases. And I didn't like that. So I told the Board of Trustees, you need to choose a leader that's going to do better in the enrollment area than I did. This is an opportunity to improve rather than to fall back. My job was to try to help manage that transition and to lead by leaving. I, I said over and over again, while I've really fought hard in the trenches to keep Oklahoma Wesleyan alive and to build an institution that's strong and confident and missionally distinct, 
I've had to throw some elbows along the way. I use the analogy of Dennis Rodman as a rebounder, that Rodman wasn't a great three-point shooter. He wasn't a point guard. He wasn't even a strong postman, but Rodman was a tenacious rebounder. He would beat people up. He would throw elbows. He would give people black eyes and bloody noses, and that's how he made his reputation and succeeded as a basketball player, and I kind of thought of myself as being a little bit of the same. I threw some elbows. I gave black eyes and bloody noses. But as the result of that, some people were mad, (laughs) and maybe the Knicks leader needed to be someone who uh, was maybe more of a three-point shooter as opposed to a rebounder, somebody that would distribute the ball to others a little bit better than I had, rather than fighting in the trenches for rebounds. Do you get my point here? You, You recognize your strengths, and you also admit that maybe the team needs something else at a given point in time. And that's when you don't look people in the eye and say, I'm not leaving. You, you admit, it's time for me to leave. I'm going to celebrate the fact that I'm going to leave. Because by leaving, I'm leading this institution to the next level. Anybody that will look you in the eye and say, I'm not leaving, you should, you should recoil against such a statement. That is not leadership. That is selfish. That's self-promotion. That is elevating your personal goals, career, and resume above the goals and the mission of the institution. Because the mission is what matters, not the men. I'll say that one more time. It's the mission that matters. It's not about men. It's not about money. It's about message and it's about mission. And if any leader fails to recognize those priorities, you've got a problem. So here's the moral of the story today. Leaders achieve greatness by leaving. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.